Hello and welcome to the Oak Community Church's Sermon Podcast. Join us this week as we start our new sermon series, The Promised. Our pastor Trevor will be leading us in The Promised Sacrifice. Enjoy. Good morning. It is such a privilege to preach God's Word to you. Those of you who join us every single week will realise this is slightly different to how I normally preach. I was really wrestling with this passage this week and as I was studying and trying to prepare a sermon I felt God really tell me to stop and to stop with all that I'd done, to stop to try and pull together a finished sermon and just deliver what I feel God's shown me so far. So I thought I should sit down, be a bit more settled, that we should definitely pray and I just want to share with you Uh, what I think God's saying to us at this time through this passage. So will you join me and let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that your word is life. And Lord, it's in your word where the life is, not in my delivery, not in some polished, refined sermon, but Lord, in the power of your word. So I pray that now as we hear your word and expand upon it, Lord, that our hearts would be opened. Give us revelation today. Lord, let us see a new part of you. Let us see you in a, a clearer way. And Lord, would you move our hearts for how we should respond this day. Amen. Amen. I find it quite um, strange or profound, really. This is our 52nd week. This is our annual or year anniversary. I was about to annual there. Hopefully we won't be doing this for a whole other year. But this is our, an annual uh, anniversary of us being online. And through being online, we've got more and more, um, we've learned as we've gone and uh, we've got better at doing certain things. And so I think it's just classic of God to say, don't try and get polished, son, just deliver what the word of God says. So thank you, Lord, for doing that. We're in a, a new series, a new series called The Promise. And this four week series is all based in John chapter 12. So if you've got the Bible with you or an app or however you read the Bible, I encourage you to open your Bible to John chapter 12. And what we're going to discover across these four weeks is this thing called the promise. The fact that as we go through the Easter period, we're going to see in John chapter 12 that there are these four different times when there's a prophetic element, there's a promise fulfilled in who Jesus is. I don't know if you've ever seen that that video called That's My King. Um, it's a kind of a thing that goes around the internet. We've shown it in church before. And it's basically this guy who was doing a prayer uh, and he was talking about That's My King. I'm not even going to try and replicate it. But basically in the space of about three or four minutes, he just lists off all these different characteristics about Jesus. He's the redeemer of this and he's the sacrifice of that and he's the lamb and all these different things he, he says about who Jesus is. And it's, it's brilliant. I, I personally love it. It's not everyone's cup of tea. And when I hear that, I'm just overwhelmed with the, the, the myriad of ways that, that Jesus is described. Well, we're going to kind of do the opposite, opposite of that across these next four weeks, we're going to slow down and just look at four different aspects of who Jesus is. And as that is revealed in John 12, because it's easy for us to 
to kind of bunch them all together instead of stopping and saying, who is Jesus? And so these four weeks, we're going to look in today about the promised sacrifice, that Jesus is our sacrifice. Next week, you're going to hear about the promised king, that Jesus is our king. On Easter Sunday, you're going to hear about how he is the promised Messiah, the anointed one to come. And on the final fourth week, we're going to hear about how Jesus is the promised saviour. So we're going to take each of these weeks to draw out from this passage of who Jesus says he is. So if you've got your Bible with you, open it to John chapter 12. And I'm going to read to you the first 11 verses. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honour. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. As we look at this story today, this story of Jesus being anointed with perfume by Mary, it's a story that actually appears in all four of the Gospels, but it's not the same story in all of them. There's a story of uh, a prostitute who uh, anointed Jesus with oil. And this is a story of Mary. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, the sister of Martha, Mary and Martha, and the story of Lazarus that you may well be familiar with. And this happens, as John tells us, just before Jesus' death. In the Passover season, six days before the Passover celebration began, this dinner event occurs. And it's in this event that Mary does this act of worship, this, this extravagance of perfume and wiping Jesus' feet. But in doing so, I think probably without even realising it, she is speaking prophecy. She is speaking prophetically in this because she's anointing Jesus for his burial, as Jesus says. And what we start to see in this passage is this part about Jesus being the promised sacrifice. There are so many Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, all fulfilled in Jesus. Read any promise in the Old Testament, it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And despite all of that, not everyone always saw that this Saviour, this Messiah, this, this King, this person who Jesus was, was the one who would be sacrificed. 
You know, he was prepared to die. And it's, it's hard for us because it's like someone who's seen the film and knows the end of the story. But just step back into that day and age. Just step back into these years with Jesus when the disciples followed him around, saw him ministering, saw his life and his teaching and his healings and the miracles and saw that this was the Son of God, heard from heaven a declaration that this was the Son of God. The idea that he was going to die was something that was actually very hard for them to accept, something that Jesus told them many times, and still they seem to manage to not grasp this. I found this great quote from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, and I think it really brings into focus. Spurgeon said this, the great object of our Lord's coming here was not to live, but to die. It's funny, we focus so much on what a good man and the good teaching and the life of Jesus and the walked our walk, but Spurgeon was saying the great object of our Lord's coming was here, was not to live, but to die. He appeared not so much to subdue sin by his teaching or to manifest goodness or to perfect an example for us to imitate, but he came to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You know, Jesus came as the sacrifice, the sacrifice that was spoken about so much in the Old Testament. So much in the Old Testament. I want you to look with me at some of these promises. Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises. The, the, the truth of who he was, was foretold. It was only a few weeks ago, I think, I was actually referring back to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, where Jesus declared, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just grab your Bible, take a look at Psalm 22. I want you to see these promises that are fulfilled in Psalm 22. Prophetic promises of who Jesus is. So grab your Bible, have a look in Psalm 22. And have a look. Psalm 22, it starts with this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know Jesus is quoting from this, but have a look in verse 7. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. <laughs> he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. This is the taunt that's going to be laid on Jesus on the cross. What does it say in a verse, uh, let's look in verse 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. This is the promise that our Saviour would come and be a sacrifice. So much of the Old Testament if you've only got to read the Old Testament, you will see there's so much sacrifice throughout the Old Testament. Hard for us to, um, to really accept, I think, in our modern culture, this idea. I mean, if you ever hear all these things that happened in the, the temple and these you know, hundreds of bulls and goats and lambs that were sacrificed, you think, my goodness me, how, how awful a scene would that be to our modern Western eyes? The Old Testament's full of sacrifice and not... Any one of those was enough. Not only one of those was enough, but Jesus comes as the ultimate sacrifice. 
Have a look in Isaiah. Have a look in Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. This is another prophetic promise of a sacrificed saviour. I gave my back to those who strike. This is Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheek to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Again, this promise of a saviour who would come and sacrifice himself. Have a look again in Isaiah. Just go forward a couple of chapters to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Actually, let's start a bit before that. Let's go to verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us, fe- uh, brought us peace, and with his stripes we healed. All these promises describing a sacrifice. I, I think, you know, I know for me that you know, I haven't been a Christian so long and around church so long and sung so many songs about Jesus on the cross and that sacrifice, it it can become so familiar. It can become, we can become so acquainted with it that it's, it's just, it's just a story. It's just words. And, and I, I love that song that says, may I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. And, and I think it takes some effort. It takes some effort for me to just sit with these promises of a sacrifice and just, I don't know, just allow my heart to be heavy with it. You know, we've spent a year with some heaviness and so often as human beings, our our inclination is to run from it and to hide from it. But I think there's something actually quite profound about allowing ourselves to feel the the reality of the sacrifice of Jesus. You know, in that, just stepping into that, just imagine this scene where they're in a room, they're having dinner, they're having food together, and Mary does this amazing display of prophetic symbolism that Jesus is getting ready for death. Talk about killer party. (laughs) What an atmosphere must have been there. But that realisation that this friend, Jesus was the friend of Mary, Martha and Lazarus, this friend was going to die, not just existentially, you know, we'll all die one day, but a preparation for his death. <laughs> Little side note here, just, just bypass Ali just for a moment. I find it quite interesting that um, you look through the, the Gospels and there's so many stories of the disciples not getting it, not understanding it, blowing it, saying stupid things. Uh, you know, misunderstanding Jesus, not having faith, Jesus rebuking them. I find it quite interesting that all the men that Jesus deals with make these massive mistakes and don't get it half the time. And you look through the Gospels, whenever Jesus is dealing with the women, they come off so much better. <laughs> they come off so much better. They get it. They understand it. They worship at Jesus' feet. 
they they uh, are audacious enough to ask the Sorafenian woman, you know, who says, you know, even the crumbs, you know, all these different stories. I want to bypass Ali here, but all these stories, the women in the Gospels come off so much better than the guys. You know, and in this one, this story here, Mary, Mary gets it. You know, whilst the disciples aren't understanding that Jesus is going to die and they're like, no, there's Peter saying, no, Lord, may it never be. Mary recognises that Jesus is the sacrifice and she prepares him like a body would be prepared at burial. She prophetically speaks into that. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Yeah, that's what it says in verse 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. It's funny that, isn't it, really, this talk about a sheep and a lamb. I suspect if we sat here and spoke too much more than a few, maybe more than 10 seconds about the slaughtering of a lamb, we'd all get a bit squeamish. Especially like a spring lamb, these joyful little things jumping around the field. It's like, man, I don't want to think about the, um, yeah, we had lamb for dinner the other night. I, I enjoyed eating it. I don't want to think about what has to happen to get it on my plate. But I think we're more comfortable with the idea of thinking about Jesus being the sacrifice than we are with a lamb. Maybe that's why... God described him as that, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that's before its shearers, it's silent. So he opened not his mouth. This is the sacrifice. This is the promise. And these promises that in all the Old Testament are pointing us to the fact that a Messiah will come, a saviour will come, a king will come. You hear about all these things in the other weeks and he will be the ultimate sacrifice. It's like the story back with Abraham and Isaac. And uh, Abram's taking Isaac to be sacrificed. Again, a completely, you know, kind of alien concept was the idea that someone could take their son because God had said sacrifice them. And as you probably know this story really well, you know, he doesn't. He goes to and a lamb is provided and God stops. And you know, Abraham, again, prophetically said God will provide a lamb. And God did, God provided this lamb, this lamb that is led to the slaughter. Just allow yourself to sit with that reality. I think this is why God is slowing us down on these four weeks and probably why God is slowing me down in this sermon preparation to just say, just sit with it, son. Just sit with that reality. It's quite overwhelming and quite awesome that he died and not just like a die in your sleep died, he was sacrificed. It wasn't just a, a simple thing. And I'm not going to get all kind of um, you know, graphic about it. But I do want us to just, just settle in that for a moment, that he was the sacrifice. He was the great Passover lamb. It's no surprise that this is happening on the days leading up to Passover whilst everybody is thinking about the lamb that will be sacrificed for their family as a symbol of this lamb that was sacrificed back when the children of Israel were released from captivity in Egypt. No surprise that as people are preparing that, purchasing their lamb, getting the family arrangements ready, as we prepare for Easter, 
you know, if it wasn't for lockdown, people were probably making arrangements for who, which family are going to come over or where you might spend Easter and getting those preparations ready. They are getting preparations ready. But Jesus is prepared to be the sacrifice. And Mary, with Martha and Lazarus, are symbolising that. And I think the reason why God wants us to sit with this and realise it is because we live, in, we live in a world and we live in a Christian world, I think, that wants to run past this. We want to get to the health, wealth and prosperity, even though we know that that gospel is, is a false gospel. We want to we live in the blessing and the victory and the, the overcoming. And the, you know, I think there is a gospel message that's shared that almost says Jesus sacrificed himself. And Jesus was punished so that you can live in the victory. And that is true. That is true. But the false bit of that would imply that Jesus suffered so that you don't have to. And that is not the gospel. You know, we follow a God who was sacrificed. Let's not be surprised when our life involves sacrifice as we follow him. You know, Jesus gave his life for you and he gave his life for me. And in turn, this Christian walk is a walk of sacrifice. And what I love in this story in, in John 12 is we not only see Mary prophetically symbolise Jesus as the sacrifice, she embodies that in her own action. Just think about what happened with Mary here. You know, this, this story tells us that there was this 12 ounce jar of perfume. Now I've had a little bit of look into this. Sometimes weights and measurements and sizes in the Bible can be a bit ambiguous. But from what we can tell, this is probably about the size of a can of Coke. Just think about that. I think about the size of a can of Coke full of expensive perfume. And probably the more apt description is not the size of this perfume. It doesn't really matter how big or small this jar of perfume is. But... The fact that it's worth a year's worth of wages. I don't know about you, I've not seen a jar of perfume for sale anywhere that's worth a year's worth of wages. <laughs> you know, Karen's got some nice perfume she likes. It's a once in a year Christmas present because it's not that cheap. But I still haven't seen a jar of perfume that's worth a year's worth of wages. And this item, just imagine your salary. Whatever it is you earn, whatever it is you get, imagine a year's worth of that, all wrapped up into one almost Coke can size of perfume. And then Mary pours that out. Pours that out. What a sacrifice. What a sacrifice that this pouring out of a year's worth of wages just poured out. So as much as she is symbolizing that Jesus is the sacrifice, he will die. She is symbolizing sacrifice as she pours out this perfume a year's worth. I don't know how wealthy they needed to be to own a jar of perfume that was worth a year's worth of wages. But whatever it took, they still had that. And Mary pours it out. Pours it out. Not only is she extravagant in this sacrificing, she sacrifices her dignity. This idea of, of, of laying her hair down and wiping his feet with her hair, that was, that was an undignified thing to do. It was a thing that was reserved for, for, for just the man in her life. 
but she abandons herself not only in this extravagant worship but in her or this extravagant offering this pouring out but in her wiping his feet with her hair she is pouring everything out this is not only scandalous because the money that judas says hey you're wasting away here she is making herself vulnerable and being completely abandoned it reminds me of a couple of stories about david david who extravagantly dances before the ark much to the ridicule of his wife but particularly a story that i want to just bring to you just have a quick look again take your bible have a look in 2 samuel have a look in 2 Samuel uh, 23. So in 2 Samuel 23, just think about this. Mary has poured out this perfume, just poured it on the ground. It says the whole room is full of the fragrance. I don't know about you, and imagine getting a can of Coke and just pouring it out on someone. Because of the parallel passages in, in the other Gospels, it probably is true that she poured this on Jesus' head and it went down his body and got to his feet and then she wipes his feet. Imagine that, a can of Coke or a can of Coke full of perfume just poured out. Imagine the mess that's being made in this dinner party. And then, it, like I said, it makes me think about this story in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 23, have a listen to this in 2 Samuel 23 verses 13 to 17. So this is um, a story about David and his mighty men. And in the midst of telling stories about these mighty men, it comes to this story. It says, The three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines were encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold. And the garrison of the Philistines were then at Bethlehem. And David sang, said longingly, these are the words he says to his mighty men, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that's by the gate. It says, Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. So just get this picture, David desperate to taste the water from his hometown where the Philistines have overtaken it. His mighty men go, they break through like SAS ninja soldiers. They risk their lives and limb just for water. And they go and they get this water and they bring it back. Verse, eight, uh, verse 16, so they broke through the camp and they drew water out of the well uh, that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went to risk their lives? Like David looked at this water and said, this water that was just water and oil is now worth so much more because you risked your lives and I'm going to pour it out, a most precious offering to God. It's what makes me think about in this story of, of Mary pouring out. She pours out a year's worth of, of wages poured out. These mighty men sacrificed their lives, risked their lives, were willing to die. Bring this back and David pours this out. You know, when, when we pour out our lives, when we follow Jesus in sacrificial living, you know, we fill the room with the fragrance. That's what happened with Mary. As she pours this, this, this the perfume, she pours it out. 
over his head, over his body, onto the floor, onto his feet. This, this, this massive puddle of perfume. And it says the room was full of the fragrance. I tell you, when I thought about this, I thought, you know what? When people who follow Jesus and see his example of sacrifice, when they sacrifice themselves and pour out their lives, we fill the room with the fragrance of Christ. Have a look in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And um, I got the wrong one of the Bible there. Yeah? And 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, where am I lost my place? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. It says this For we are the aroma of Christ to God. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. So saying that, it's saying when you pour out your life for Christ, you are like a pleasing aroma. I tell you, there's nothing more inspiring or challenging or encouraging than when you see Christians going for it. When you see them sacrificing their life, putting everything on the line, it is like the, you, you get a sense of Christ. You get the aroma of Christ. But you know what also it says? It says, for we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. What it says is that, you know, to those who are alive in Christ, we see this sacrificial living. And it's like a pleasing aroma. You just, just get encouraged and it inspires people and it, it builds God's kingdom and, and God's kingdom grows. But to those who don't get it, to those who are not in Christ, to those who are perishing, it's like death to death. It's like what well, Judas happened. Judas sees this and he's like, what are you doing? What a waste. He says it's a waste because he says it should be used for the poor, but really he wants the money for himself. We inspire others when we live a sacrificial life. And I, I just want us to grasp this, that Jesus came as a sacrifice. He embodied that. He was the promised sacrifice. And he did that not so that we would go, well, that was good for you, Jesus. Everything we see We've just been doing a load of uh, studying through some of Corinthians. We've been talking a lot about Paul. We've been working through some of Paul's letters and just hearing a life of a man who was in chains and led this life for the gospel that took him into to hardship and to beatings and to, to punishment. And we, I think, live in this world where we're like, where is this easy life, God? And Jesus would say, I came as the promised sacrifice. And Mary poured herself out as a sacrifice are we willing to pour ourselves out as a sacrifice man it really it really impacted mary and martha and lazarus they were never the same living lives you know where we see lives devoted to jesus you find anybody who is totally devoted to Jesus, you will see a life of sacrifice. And so I would say to us and to you, to us as a church and to you, wherever you are, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, he is calling us into a life of sacrifice, to a life that surrendered and says, Lord, how can I pour myself out?
I want to end with just reading to you from Romans. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, which I think is, you know, this, this is one of those verses that you can, you can print off and stick on your wall. It says, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you. I appeal to you. I want to say that to you this morning. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, it's my prayer for us today as we've spent some time just focusing on and thinking about the, the sacrifice of Jesus, that we follow in his footsteps, that we would hear this appeal that Paul made to the Romans and that I make to you and I speak to myself as well. I appeal to you by the mercy of God. Present your body, our whole life, everything about us. You know, what we do with our time, what we do with our money, what we watch on the television, what we speak to people about, the jobs that we do, the way we interact with people, every single part of our life is our act of worship. And wouldn't it be a lot snazzier in our mind if he just skipped that middle bit? If he said, you know, present your bodies as a spiritual act of worship. We're like, yeah, I can just praise Jesus all the time, but he doesn't. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I believe God is challenging us more and more to live a life of sacrificial living. It is the most thrilling life it is the most fulfilling life. It is the most joyous life, but it is a sacrificial life. And so many times I think we go for good and not great. We go for, can I just have the blessings of God? Can I have the comfort of God? And God says, no, would you lay your life on the altar? Would you be a living sacrifice? Would you pour out? What would you do if you had that jar of Coke and you have this thing here is worth a year's worth of my salary? And God says, pour it out. Pour it out as an act of worship. Pour out your life as a living sacrifice. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, as we've just spent a little bit of time just allowing your word to minister to us, Lord, we acknowledge and recognize that so often it's not that appealing, the idea of being a living sacrifice. Lord, so often we want the blessing and we want the ease and we want the comfort but Lord, you laid down your life. You were the promised sacrifice. And Lord, because of your sacrifice, we give our lives. And Lord, we respond to this final verse here in Romans 12, 1, Lord, that we would present our bodies, our whole life, everything about us, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. Lord, I pray right now for those who are listening right now, Lord, that you would just convict by the power of your Holy Spirit and me. I'm going to rewatch this, Lord, as I'm listening to this. Convict me, touch every one of us and say, this is what it looks like. 
And Lord, may we go from this day living a more sacrificed life, a living sacrifice for you like you did. And Lord, just as you sacrificed your life for us, Lord, would we lay down our lives for others, for your glory, Lord, for your honour, Lord, may it be a fragrant aroma that fills every room we walk into, every interaction we have, every social media post and phone call and Zoom call and everything we do, Lord. May you fill the place with your aroma as we pour out our lives to you. Amen.